Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Setacase, and this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Today's episode is very, very special. I have a recurring guest, uh, Dr. Matthew Benton, and we're going to be talking about the philosophy of honesty. Um, it's going to be really fun. I like when philosophy gets super out there and abstract and doesn't have any practical implications, but sometimes we have to bring in folks to remind us that philosophy actually helps us in everyday life. And uh, Matthew Benton's been working on <clears throat> interpersonal honesty, honesty in, in different conceptions of it and uh, different criteria for honesty and how it can, it can affect our relationships. And it's super good. So we're going to be asking the fun stuff because it is Parker's Pensies. I'm going to ask him about dogs and machines and aliens and all sorts of stuff like that. But we're also going to be really practical. And this episode might actually help you become a better friend. So stay tuned. Keep watching. Keep watching past 30 seconds. I can see the uh, analytics so I know who's watching when. Keep watching. It's going to be awesome. You guys are going to be super duper honest by the end of this episode. If you guys like the podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon or YouTube members. If you're watching this on YouTube, it's super easy. Just find the members thing and become a member. There are other perks that you get if you are watching on YouTube and you don't like YouTube and you want to support on Patreon, you can do that. Or anywhere else you're getting this podcast at, please consider supporting me on Patreon, especially if I'm in your top five favorite podcasts. All right. Uh, I don't need to commodify myself too much. I want to keep the lights on, though, so I need your support. Let's bring in Matthew Benton and let's talk about honesty. <clears throat> hey, man, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Parker. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, honesty. I don't know how many people would think, yeah, philosophy has a lot to say about honesty, but looks like it does. Um, how'd you get into this topic, looking at like the philosophy of honesty type stuff? Yeah, good. Um, it's funny you open with that. I mean, it turns out uh, analytic philosophers anyway haven't had that much to say about honesty right. over the last, say, 50-ish or more years. And um, I got into doing this because there's this big grant at Wake Forest and Carnegie Mellon, a multi-million dollar grant called the Honesty Project. Uh, Christian Miller is the philosopher at Wake Forest who is the director of that. And then there are several um, psychologists also at Wake Forest, William Fleeson, Michael Furr, uh, Yaronda Jarawuklim, and there's also a um, psychologist management professor at Carnegie Mellon, Taya Cohen. They have this big project and they had some philosophers apply to do a philosophy of honesty sort of subgrants and write some stuff or study some stuff. And also some psychologists and social scientists do it too. And I got to do one. So um, one cool thing is that in the start of this grant, Christian Miller dropped this huge monograph, perhaps the best big book on honesty by a philosopher in the last many years mm. called Honesty, the Philosophy and Psychology of a ne Neglected Virtue. Um, and for those of us who are also going to write some things on it and are also philosophers, this was really helpful because we, you know, you have someone saying a bunch of, you know, covering a bunch of ground, you know, taking a bunch of stances on some cases and some things. So, um, so I draw a bit on his work and, and, uh, and then I, I proposed to write a paper, actually two papers, um, one on linguistic honesty, since I do a lot of work on philosophy of language and issues related to norms and speech acts and, and stuff like that and, and how to do that well, the normativity of that, and then also one on interpersonal honesties. And I shared those drafts with you, so we're going to talk about those, but it's like my like first stab at these ideas um, 
And I actually think of these two ideas as going together. So mm. turns out the linguistic elements are related to how you would know someone better in relationship um, because it involves the ways in which you're sharing things about yourself. Yeah. Um, and there are, there are more honest ways to do that and less honest ways. Yeah. And so, well, yeah, that's that, the gist that, of it. That's so awesome, man. I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking more about this. And I, I caught those two and how they, they impact each other. It's really fun. I, I also thought it was kind of fun that you are working on this as, I don't know, man, I call you, I think of you as an epistemologist. Are, yeah. are you an epistemologist? Okay, so you're working on this from an epistemologist perspective and not like a meta-ethics perspective or ethical theory perspective. I think that's actually pretty cool. Uh, and how we, you're working on this interpersonal knowledge project, which I, I promise I won't talk too much about, but I wrote a paper like defending yeah. uh, one of your views from, a, from other Parker that lives inside my head that wanted to poke at you too much. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited for that project as well, but it's cool that, uh, honesty can help us know people better, more deeply. Uh, what would you say about that? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think the, in this paper, so you, the stuff you were talking about in my, some of my earlier papers on this is just thinking about what the epistemology of knowing another person amounts to. Because mm -hmm. um, it feels more detailed and involved than simply knowing a lot about someone. <clears throat> you can know a lot about someone without knowing them in the sort of what we'd say knowing them personally. Um, but then it's like most epistemologists haven't thought too carefully about what that would, knowing, knowing someone personally means. Um, and of course it is veering more into like areas of ethics maybe. Um, and so for a variety of reasons, I think they haven't paid too much attention to it. So I, I have worked on that a little bit. And in this one paper, I was pitching the idea that we could, we could aim to investigate what sorts of honesty are in play when you're getting to know someone well, like, mm, okay. like if you think of the two, you think of a spectrum, of like how well you might know someone, um, and like at the very end of the spectrum you, you, you're like strangers. You don't like, you don't even know each other at all. Let's say, um, maybe also no, neither knows anything about the other one. And then you can go from like strangers to being acquaintances. Like there's something that happens in between those. Mm. And then along the way up, maybe this spectrum, if you want to call it that is like, you can be kind of varying degrees of intimacy or closeness. Like you go from mere acquaintances to being, I don't know, on a little bit better terms or, or knowing each other decently well, but maybe not friends. And then, I mean, this has a positive valence usually, but like you can go from friends to deep or close friends. If, if you're involving also like partners or romantic relations, if you can talk about intimate lovers, that kind of thing. Um, and so of course, like, it's like, what's going on there? How does it even, how does that work? And, and I was interested in that. And so if the two main notions the, that are on, on the spectrum of interest are like, how do, how do you go, how do you become a person, you know? that someone else knows you or you know them personally. Mm -hmm. And then how would you move from that stage to knowing each other or knowing another one well in relationship? Mm -hmm. What does that amount to? So I was thinking this has something to do with honesty. Yeah. Um, and, I, and in this draft, I'm like thinking, well, we can talk about norms of 
how this works because like I think of them as instrumental norms mainly. They're related to causal considerations like what what things you can do to facilitate becoming known better by someone else in relationship. Right. And also kind of there there's like a mirror image of these norms on the recipient side, on the uptake side. So if we're talking about you and me, let's say I could come to know you well in certain ways if you, only if you behave in certain honest ways toward me as particularly sharing about yourself that if we think of the domain as being about parker yeah you know you can kind of block pl plausibly you can block me getting to know you well if you're not honest with me in certain ways about yourself or you might be honest in those ways about yourself but i might kind of not do the right things with them in response or as a recipient as a person you know kind of receiving that so I'm thinking there, I, I articulate some norms about how that works. Like if I could be dishonest in a way of receiving that from you and thereby kind of block myself from knowing you well, if I'm misinterpreting the things you're saying kind of to manipulate you or, you know, things like that. Yeah. So that's the idea. That's the sort of nugget ideas about how that goes in the relational senses. And I think, so I think honesty is super central to how you can get to know others better, especially if the point is where you're, you're both, you both have aims of like your relationship flourishing in certain ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Matt, um, uh, I think we, let's say that your seeds of ideas and, and the, the stuff you fleshed out even more is, uh, let's say it's accurate. Um, is it, this is just happening all the time, like pre theoretically, right? Like, uh, I wonder, um, have you come to see relationships differently through working on like the honesty stuff and the interpersonal knowledge stuff? Um, or do you see it as like positively impacting you and making you more virtuous? Or is it like describing what's already going around, uh, going on around, uh, you know, pre, -the pre theoretical relationships. Does that make sense? So do you mean, do that, does it, um, does it have the result that I end up trying to be, more honest or, or, or yeah yeah because because i um, attend to the relationships in certain ways differently. yeah yeah like you're you're especially in explicating norms um it's funny because because you you could be doing this just in like a descriptive way which is kind of weird you're like describing the norms that are going on that are um unspoken maybe for most people just in everyday interpersonal life um and you could just be describing it but it also could be like you know, looping back on you and you considering like, oh yeah, you know, maybe, maybe I should be more honest or maybe uh, not that you're not a, an honest person, but you know what I mean? Like the, the, the philosophy impacting your life type stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, I think a bit, it, um, to the extent that the details I'm working on do require me to think about, well, how, in, in effect, what this boils down to is there are certain special ways of treating others Yeah, that happen when you're in certain kinds of relationships. And I'm thinking mostly of personal relationships. There are of course also structured relationships like pro professionalized ones. Um, so pro professional roles, let's say, are, or like maybe political office roles or different, you know, well, yeah. there, there, are there are certain kinds of rules and roles in which that there's an added layer that kind of might disrupt how well you could know it. Like you could have a personal relationship with someone in those roles vis-a-vis -vis you. Yeah. Um, I'm mostly thinking of personal relationships on their own. Okay. Um, and then there are going to be probably complications that come in from those other things if they overlay them. 
Um, but sure, I, th- I mean, when you think about the personal relationships in these ways, what you start to see is like, oh, <laughs> I if, if I want to be a good friend, let's say, or if I want to be a good, even sort of someone who's open to becoming a friend, there's certain ways I have to both take an interest in someone else. And that's sort of like related to, you know, asking them about themselves in certain ways and trusting them to be sharing mm-hmm. things with me that are honest on their part. Yeah. Um, so, so insofar as it's related to treating others better um, and making sure you're doing that for others so that they can know you, then yeah, there, there's a clear element of this. My wife is an amazing uh, marriage and family therapist. And so I've probably learned most of this, mm. not just in our marriage, but also just from her in general, like sort of interactions with our friends and other things. And so there's a way in which this is my fluffy working out like a bunch of things that sort of have contact with in regular life anyway. Dang, that's cool, man. Right. I, I think one of the one of the one of the best things about philosophy is looking at the at looking at the world with a fresh set of eyes, I guess. Um maybe that's cliche to say, but um so when I was reading your papers thinking about someone being able to block this interpersonal uh, relationship or friendship by being dishonest yeah. or by withholding or by sharing too much too soon, or then yeah. you being able to block by and and by changing up the words that we use, making them using more well-defined words in order to write philosophy, it it also like shakes up the way you think about things. And I I thought it was so cool. Where it's like, wow, there's actually this really fascinating relationship going on, and someone could stop that and not let me have. I they could keep me from having a relationship with them, and I kind of have to yeah. trust them to be honest with me. And it's just weird. It's just that's what life right. is. But it's a weird thing, right? Yeah, and I think as I mean. As a professional philosopher, and especially the analytic uh, circles, um, what's really interesting about this is hardly any philosophers have thought yeah. about both the honesty element and the relationships element kind of together. I mean, I haven't quite come across the version of that that I was setting out to investigate. Um, and maybe someone has, and I just haven't found it yet. But uh, I do think this is, for, given that I often work in philosophy of language issues and, and epistemology a lot, and philosophy of religion issues. Um, this is my sort of first real toe dip into eth- much more ethical, real, as it were, real life. Not, I don't want to say that exactly, but you know, real life issues that normal people are interacting with every day. Yeah. And also, are like in a way, the project is partly to make good on what we already, like you say, pre theoretically bring to the table about judgments about some of these cases and what, like what it takes to do relationships well, or, or to care about another person in a certain kind of way where you're, you know, you're, um, you're open to learning about them, but treating them in certain ways, the way they ought to be, the way they want to be understood. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a range of, of course, real difficult, hot topics on underneath a bunch of that. But I think the general issues are the ones that were interested in me. Like what what do you have to do better or what rules do you have to follow if you want to let yourself be known by others mm-hmm. or be known in deeper than just the like they know a few things about you and then you say hi to each other and that's it. Like <laughs> right. 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 All right. Well, yeah, that's so cool, man. And I, I do like the uh I, I like philosophy. So this type of stuff is more helpful to not more helpful. This is also helpful to me because I, I like seeing like the foundations of things. Um, some of my friends and family are more like pragmatic and they're just like, well, tell me what to do, what to say to people to be. And I want to know the rules and the norms. That's just fun for me to think about. 
I, I, it's curious that it, it does seem like insofar as people have been addressing this type of area they they, they focus on lies and they focus maybe on like Frankfurt and, and bullshit like the, in the technical, mm-hmm. I'm not swearing mm-hmm. here folks, but like bullshit, um, like <laughs> the, the neck. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's technical. Um, but they, they focus on the negative and, and here we're, we're getting into like the positive. So with that in mind, um, what, what do you take honesty to be? What, what is honesty? Do we, mm-hmm. do we, uh, do we go Methodist here or, or particularist and say we know it when we see it or what? Uh, I'm actually not going to address that cool. way of putting the question. I don't, cause I don't, methodologically, I don't know if there's an, a real clean way to do only one or the other. Okay. I guess, I guess what I'll do is I'll start with, so in, in Christian's book and this book on honesty, um, he's tackling a broader notion, a sort of unification notion of like five different areas of honesty. I'm mainly actually interested in only about two of those areas, but he thinks of honesty as involving like, um, five different Areas two of which are communicative. So the communicative ones are ones that I think are really important, especially for the linguistic sort of honesty. One paper that's sort of separate from this other paper. So he talks about lying. He thinks of vices on the one hand and virtues on the other, and they, they each have a corresponding vice and virtue. So so there's lying and there's like um, truthfulness, and then there's misleading, and there's forthrightness, um, and then. He also has these other areas that he thinks are related to being honest, but they're not, you know, crucially communicative, like having respect for another's property. Uh, that is not like, like not stealing. Stealing would be the vice. Yeah. Respecting another's property would be the virtue. But you can do but that like, all in by a way, yourself. Yeah. What's that? You, you can do that by yourself, right? You can just like be walking by yeah. yourself and just, you don't need You can not, yeah, you can not have to communicate anything with anyone or you could be like a vicious liar, like who's doing that a lot, but actually in a way you might be like totally respectful of other people's property, mm-hmm. right? So conceptually though, he's saying, these all feel like they're related to, at least in English, what we mean by honest. You can be honest in these variety of ways. And then part of his project is how do I bring these all together? So that's like the third one. There's two more, the two others are cheating, like with respect to some rules that might be in play. And of course this might be related to moral rules, but if you, if you have a game or you have rules uh, that are in play, when you are at work or something, um, you know, basically, you know, cheating is not going to be an honest thing. So respect or proper compliance with rules is a virtue of being honest with respect to rules. And then there's like promise breaking or promise keeping, like fidelity to your promises. That one is kind of communicative, maybe, um, in a certain sense. So, um, it's, it's, again, it's not that clean that you can separate them these ways, but yeah. part of Christian's uh, project is let's, let's see how we can come up with a notion of honesty that brings all these together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he gives an account of that, in, including in a virtue sense, like what would it be to be disposed to reliably be this way? Uh, and so he, he thinks it's related to the kind of communicative stuff where he's thinking you're going to be avo- you're going to be disposed to reliably avoid misleading um, by giving a kind of sufficient presentation of the relevant facts for good moral reasons. That's his forthrightness one. But then you've got this truthfulness one. And so he has a way of thinking about these all together. I can look up the exact definition if you want. Um, 
where he's like, honesty, there's like a core notion of honesty, where it's like, you're not going to distort the facts as you see them. Yeah. Where even with like cheating on rule, cheating with rules, um, you'd be in a way representing the rules as in force, but you'd be playing so as to, you know, violate those rules. So there's a way in which you're still misrepresenting things if you're playing a game and trying to get away with, you know, not being caught breaking those rules. Yeah. Um, So anyway, that's, that's the answer to like, that's the kind of big picture answer to how you might think of honesty. The way I tend to think about it is this, there's the forthrightness and truthfulness notions, like in effect, the communicative one is if you have a language, you're speaking, able to communicate with language. When you utter some sort of phrase or, or speech act, you, you'll, if, if what you're doing is communicating a claim, you are going to communicate the truth as you see it. That's mm-hmm. the truthfulness one. And then the forthrightness one has to do with not omitting to communicate claims you view as true when they're clearly kind of relevant to the conversation. Yeah. Because you can mislead by not speaking up when you do know something. Right. And that would be in a way dishonest if it's you know relevant to the conversation or the inquiry and play in the discussion. So I think of those, those are the ones I tend to focus on. And they're also related to the interpersonal sort of honesty notions of how you'd get to know others well or they could get to know you well yeah so um just thinking about those two i wonder hmm, i wonder why, why doesn't forthrightness like encapsulate uh truthfulness like how yeah i guess how are they i see why truthfulness is like no that's just saying when you're making a positive claim or when you're asserting something or when you're doing it performing a speech act then it must be true but you don't you know when you're not you're not but forthrightness is like, no, sometimes you need to, mm-hmm. uh, and you know that you're not being forthright because you're not divulging or, you know, engaging in a speech act when you ought to. So why isn't forthrightness like in- incorporate truthfulness? It's not like that big of a deal, I guess, but just a question about. No, it's a good question. Um, so I think usually the way you could gloss this is to suppose that forthrightness is uh, being willing to share the truth rather than withhold it. Okay. And, but that's a different thing, of course, than if you're going to speak to speak the truth. Like, yeah. you know, in the right. court of law, it's sort of when you swear, and you, if you're a juror, if you're not a juror, but a um, witness, you know, you might swear on the Bible or something. You might say, I, you know, commit to telling the, telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the whole truth notion is related to being forthright. Ah, yeah. Right. But like, because because like you you, I mean, if you think of it like this, like, c- can you be truthful in a certain sense by never saying anything at all? Mm-hmm. Maybe like, but but you're not forthright. Uh, you're withholding facts as you right. see them that might be relevant to the discussion. Whereas um, you could be truthful in a certain way with respect to a range of utterances or things you claim, but also throw in a bunch of lies. <laughs> yeah. Right. And with respect to each of those, those are might maybe true uh, things known by you. Right. But if I'm, if I'm also lying all the time, then I'm like not being honest. Like I'm not reliably telling the truth because a bunch of things I'm, at, I'm adding are also false. Gotcha. So if you think of truthfulness as like, if I'm going to speak, I'm speaking the truth as I see it. Mm-hmm. Right. That is a different thing than whether I'm going to withhold the truth when I know I've got it to to add yeah right so the forthrightness is like not withholding 
And the truthfulness thing is, if I don't withhold and I communicate something, it better be true to as I say. Yeah. No, yeah. that's good. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I really like that. Um, well, so to bring in some some random fun stuff, which which I actually uh, do think can help us understand these concepts a little bit better, is um, we we're talking a lot about like interpersonal stuff. Um, so I'm wondering about non persons, uh, or at least things that I take to not be persons yet, or maybe ever. Um, can, can, do you think dogs can be honest? Uh, I know you do a lot with language and, and we use language, uh, maybe in an analogical way or a metaphorical way to say like, I have an honest dog or something like that. Like maybe that's not impossible. Maybe, maybe it's not implausible to think mm. you have an, an honest dog or a dishonest dog. Can, can dogs be honest? What do you think? That's a good, so notice, um, one quick and dirty way to answer that might be like, dogs don't have language. Yeah. And I'm thinking of honesty in terms of linguistic or communicative honesty. So they don't really count that they're not like presenting the facts in terms of using language. So in a way, maybe the answer is no, mm -hmm. um, they also probably lack certain intentions that might be relevant to trying to communicate like the truth as opposed to the, you know, something false or mislead by saying you can mislead by saying something true, you know, in some cases too. And so that's where things get kind of complicated, but dogs don't really do that. Now I think, you know, that that's to then focus on the communicative notions that I was pointing out yeah. now can those other notions from Christian's book that are related to other things like, I don't know, respect for property, <laughs> not stealing. <laughs> yeah. can, can a dog, you know, maybe in a way, you know, like one thing we know, right? I mean, I have a dog uh, last few years, amazing dog. He's really good. I know you have a dog. I forget how old your dog. So I got several now. Yeah. We're just oh, you got several? Them. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, think of it like this. Dogs do understand our communication pretty well, including yeah. reading our nonverbal sort of moods and stuff too. If you communicate by like ordering the dog, not, you know, don't touch that, you know, don't eat that or, you know, don't, don't go out there, stop. They usually understand in a certain way what's meant. Now, can they be dishonest in response? I'm not sure we want, I didn't, myself, my first thought on this is like, I don't think we want to call it dishonest exactly, but they might be able to misrepresent what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, like a, a cunning dog might be like, okay, while you're looking at me and telling me not to go chew on this toy or whatever, yeah, I'll stop. I will, I'll, you know, but right when you look away, they might go, go do it. You know, like yeah. in a way, maybe they can have intentions of the right kind of sort, which is able, able to kind of mislead you in a certain way. Yeah. But if it. If you want to call that honesty, I think it's just super proto, like it's not developed yet. Yeah. Um, they're, they're basically like, I'm going to avoid punishment by, you know, listening to my owner, <laughs> yeah. demanding that I don't do this. And then I'm going to try and do it once they aren't looking. Can I, let me, can I present uh, just a, a, a case yeah. maybe? So I'm sure, thinking, uh, I'm thinking about my parents' dogs and they are constantly trying to trick each other into stealing each other's bones. Um, and maybe that's maybe that's speaking a little bit too loosely, but it really looks like that. Um, and so, like, imagine uh, I say to one of the dogs, like, "Go, go, bring me, go, bring me your bone," uh, and it brings me its 
other, you know, its friend's bone, the other dog's bone. And it's like, if it knows that's not its bone, right? So maybe it walks past its bone in its tray and goes and grabs yep. the other one and brings me. Right. That looks a little bit like dishonesty. Maybe maybe the dog thinks I'm going to take it or I'm going to eat it or something, right? It's really hard to attribute beliefs to dogs, I think. This is like a huge problem for me. But right. it looks like that dog is being dishonest or not forthright or something, right? Could be. I mean, if you... So what's the situation? There's 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 dog there's bones that they each know are like their property. They belong there's, to the arts yep. for theirs to play with. Yep. Um and then it looks like they're reliably retrieving the wrong bone when yes. you ask for. Yeah. Uh I mean is it It could I mean I think yeah, you could maybe make the case that sometimes that's like a way of it, so if we want to use this gloss of, you know, disposed to reliably present the facts as they see them or something, again, that's yeah. very articulatable in a way that dogs can't do, but <laughs> yeah. they, they, you know, they could, they could make choices to do things differently than what it, they pretty obviously are understanding you to tell them to do. Yeah. So if that's possible, then there's a way. There's a way for them to be getting it wrong on purpose. In a way. Yeah. Um, and so if that's right, there's a there's something akin to dis I guess dishonesty in those cases. I think another one we might I mean you said just now, not sure about attributing beliefs. I mean, I think we probably I mean, look, the the dog the dog knew where to go to get it. And believes like like has a belief about where it is. Yeah. I mean, so they have something. Um, they can't represent it like mentally in the way maybe that we can. Um, and they probably can't communicate it in a certain way we're talking about in this linguistic fashion. But you know, if you, I don't know, like any any creature knows a lot about the world. If you want to gloss that as beliefs involving then sure they have beliefs like just watch what they do right yeah. you say you say go go get your bone and they know where it always is and then they go over there and find it yeah but you could give them like a false belief task and like put put it somewhere else and then they'll go over there and you'll be like oh they can't find it because it's, it's been moved right? right right so i think i mean it may be that you're working with a very drummed up notion of a belief like what belief I, amounts to D donald davidson got in there real deep with this triangulation argument stuff and i'm um, and there's maybe you can you know help me help disabuse me of this i've been asking epistemologists to help me with it so davidson would say like hey in a sense we could say a dog's barking up the wrong tree if he's barking up the tree and the squirrel's no longer there or never went there but mm -hmm. in another sense it's like well what the dog since the dog's a non-linguistic animal um it seems pretty hard to to pick out the concept uh, or to pick out the aspect that the dog is thinking about. Like, is he, we're saying he's looking for the squirrel, but in order to do that, we'd have to attribute to him all sorts of beliefs about squirrels and claws and climbing and trees and all sorts of stuff that it looks like once you get out further, mm -hmm. it, it, the dog probably doesn't have concepts of those other things or beliefs about those other things. So he's working with like the holism of the mental type stuff where you got all these other beliefs that you need in order to have a single belief. So maybe that one might be out, but the, the linguistic problem of not having the like appropriate language to pick up concepts and aspects of 
the environment, the aspect problem, I guess, as he calls it, seems pretty tough to wrestle with. Like, what is the dog even thinking about? Is, it's not squirrel. It's not the English word squirrel. Okay, yeah, obviously. But is it that brown thing? Is it the sniffy chew toy? Is it the, you know, little furry goose? Like, what does that yeah. even refer sure. to, you know? No, that's good. I, I don't, I mean, don't remember all that, the details of that from Davidson. But, I mean, notice... I mean, it sounds like you keep wanting to worry that if they don't have the concepts, they can't have the beliefs. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm supposing beliefs are pretty easy to come by, maybe. And okay, depending on what I mean, like you don't need, I mean, you don't need a concept that you can think about. Does this count as one of those things, you know? And that one doesn't like that's that's a very reflective procedure by which you might be like you know i have in mind all the white things in the room or i haven't you know i have in mind yeah. all the you know yeah all the things that are fun to play with if i'm the dog or something i mean does the, the the dog doesn't have to have a conception of squirrels or claws or brownness or anything in order to pursue an object of interest to them that they believe is over there you know like like that's then all, all they need is some kind of like difference between mental states of commitment to facts where they again they're not having to rehearse or or represent what the facts are yeah. they just have to have a difference between a kind of like proto like mental commitment to facts versus like other kind of mental states like maybe desire like states like hmm. so so all they need is the, the intentionality thing like mental states are intentional in certain ways at least most of them yeah you know, beliefs are directed at the world in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And so they have a direction of fit such that they're inaccurate if the world's not that way. Desires are supposed to have like the reverse direction of fit where, you know, my desire, if my desire is for some chocolate, then I, you know, to eat chocolate or whatever, <laughs> then I, I want the world to conform to my desire. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then I might have also just qualitative state like pains and stuff. I mean, look, we don't want to deny pain to right. dogs or whatever just because they don't have the concept of I mean right yeah but we might we might want to deny suffering to them in that sense right like i i don't know if i want well, to, i don't right? I know a lot of folks folks do uh, that sounds totally wrong i mean okay <laughs> almost all creatures that can feel in this basic sense can suffer well so i think um, that they would they would make like a hard distinction between pain and suffering and suffering uh incorporates like reflection or you know recursion recursion or something back on a higher okay. higher order state or something i mean that's again to kind of over intellectualize i mean you might add emotional elements in there that's going to make suffering worse mm -hmm. um but i don't i mean you don't that's the same mistake i'm sort of pointing it you to as the one with the belief like you don't need concepts to have beliefs in this sense but you might need concepts to talk about beliefs or think about what your beliefs are or communicate your beliefs in other ways, even to, to like another creature. Like notice, um, if if it's essential that a I don't know some creature could sort of get the attention of another creature to like get its attention on the same thing, so that they match beliefs about that object. Yeah, right. There's yeah. a way in which surely they have beliefs and they're converging on the beliefs, and the beliefs are true. But of course, it's not. <clears throat> The, the proposition believed 
could be construed and described in any number of ways given linguistic or conceptual resources. Yeah, do you that's think a separate so task. That's not what yeah. the dog or creature has, has to no, have in order to have belief. That's exact. So that's exact um, scenario that Davidson mentions. But with he says like trying this triangulation takes place in nature, like you just described, like two animals, maybe like two wolves, both looking at each other and looking at the gazelle or or not a caribou that they're sure. chasing, and they're like right. you know literally triangulating on it. But you know mm -hmm. also they're doing that. Um, but but it's like yeah, what's the propositional content of that belief? Like it seems like beliefs. Maybe they're, don't beliefs have con content, right? Like maybe there are some that don't, but if we're saying like wolves beliefs don't have content, then it's like, well, then what is it? It's like a wolf belief or it's like a belief star or something, you know? I mean, I mean, I mean, again, I'll just acknowledge, like, I'm not really a philosopher of mind. So I'm working slightly outside my normal yeah, areas, yeah. but think of it like this. I mean, beliefs. Beliefs, as we're talking about them with cognitively developed creatures, have representational content. Yeah. Like I can do things like even represent my beliefs to myself. I can imagine them or visualize them or do things with that. Yeah. Right. And something about that is surely related to memory. Like at least uh, the kind of memory you can retrieve and rethink about. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I don't think we want to deny that dogs and squirrels and whatever have memories of a kind. The squirrel yeah. buries its nuts, goes back and is able to find them. Totally. Like, yeah. How can we, how can that be possible? Let alone reliably possible, like reliable for the, you know, squirrel to be getting at the nuts if the you know, nuts haven't been moved or whatever, then like, how can that be possible if they don't have something like what we're talking about with memory? So, I mean, beliefs have a content, how the content given the mind it's the belief is you know housed in i guess um how the content gets understood by them is a separate thing that's that more rich robust thing you're talking about yeah if you have concepts you have to have language and you can do that do reasoning and stuff with that now we're in a much more complex terrain where we need a suite of concepts and we need to be able to communicate with others who also have such concepts and all these things yeah um but like the dog doesn't have the thought, I'm in pain, mm -hmm. when it's like in pain, but it, it surely experiences pain. Yeah. Knows the difference between when it's in pain and not in pain. Um, does it form, it doesn't have probably I beliefs, but it, but it, you know, because that's sophisticated. Yeah. Right. Stuff. I would say I, that too. But, but they do have a sense of like the difference between them being in pain and you being in pain. Because they I mean, bite me. Dogs and especially. Me yeah, dogs especially have a have an, a real empathetic ability that lots of other creatures don't have, hmm. right? They can tell, at least with certain pets. I mean, you know, depends on how they're treated and, and you know how their how the relationship is going with like the owner and the dog. But like, they they can sense when things are wrong with you, maybe in some cases. But yeah. I I take it that that's like even for them you know, what it's like for them to experience the difference is like not the same as them experiencing it for themselves, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is all, I guess, I'm willing to attribute a certain kind of mentality, much much less rich, right? But um, yeah. a certain kind of mentality to dogs or to, you know, infants, one-year-old, right? Where they have a lot of beliefs, they have a lot of knowledge, and they can have that without having the concepts or language mm. 
to understand what it, I mean, you, then now we're taking perspectives on our beliefs usually when they're starting to do, to do that. Yeah. That's a separate, that's a much more advanced thing. Yeah. So I don't want to, I wouldn't want someone to mistake the advanced thing for the real thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 No, I get that. This, this has been awesome, by the way. This is really fun. So, so yeah, totally. I'm um, br bringing it back to like the, the interpersonal honesty or, or um, how, however we call it. Um, there is like a, pro, a proto or fuzzy or, or doggish way that, that they can like, do, does this impact our relationship with, with dogs at all? You know, it impacts our relationship with human beings. And, and so in, in, I'm wondering about non-persons, right? So like, does honesty also impact our relationship with non-persons in this intra or interpersonal way, I guess? Are you, so you're thinking of a dog's not a person in that, like I'm not a human person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not a person at all. I don't know, man. Do you think dogs are, are persons? I think in a way, sure. They're, I mean, they're an age, they're a kind of agent that has some mental states. Okay. That's, I mean, t in a way, I think I'm willing to allow called, you know, and they can, dogs especially, more than maybe most other creatures, except for humans, can, can be in relational, have relational capacities. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure that that's like a requirement for being a person, right? But it's right. it's something that persons do pretty naturally, mm -hmm. um, and social, and especially socially. So, so I don't know. So let me go back. The real question was, do the do you mean the norms of the notions of norms of honesty relate to non-human persons like dogs? Yeah, or is this just a, a inter-human person uh, notion? I don't know if I thought about that really much. I think so. Yeah, it could extend to aliens or, or machines too, right? Like, let's say, I don't know about machine consciousness, right? But, but it's not, if a machine becomes conscious, it's not a human person at least. But, you know, how does that interact with those relationships? And if an alien life form comes down and doesn't have the same language as us, but yeah, I'm not, you know. So the alien example is going to be maybe easier because I might say, I mean, all I got to do is say, they, you know, I mean, here's the nugget idea about honesty. Yeah. Let's just, let's not worry about the interpersonal notion of how we're treating one another to get to know each other in relational okay. terms. We'll just talk about the linguistic or communicative notion. Yeah. If you can communicate in any way where you kind of understand what you're doing, yeah. you can misrepresent things. Yeah. If you can misrepresent things, it's possible for you to be both honest as well as dishonest. That is, you can, that, that's the sort of core idea I had in mind. To, real, real quick, does the, does the communication need to be linguistic? Because I'm, I'm thinking of like silent movies and stuff, and they do a lot of communicating there, right? No, or, right. It doesn't have, I'm thinking this is a broader notion. Cool. Yeah. So a dog or a, or a, let's, let's pause on the machine or robot type example. Yeah. Um, for a second. Um, a dog, could it, I mean. Let's just suppose if there's, if it's possible to misrepresent and do so intentionally, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Then you could be dishonest. Okay. Now I'm now in a way you might wonder whether that means you like the possibility of dishonesty or misrepresentation and intentionally misrepresenting things is a requirement for being honest, not even though it's because like. You know, some creatures oh, yeah. or even just infants will just be reliable in 
never misrepresenting the facts. Yeah. Yeah. Or like never, never showing artifice, always sort of sharing, like sharing their mood or expressions of how they feel without hiding things. Like in a way, dogs probably are exactly like that. Like, yeah, it brings up God, right? Hide how they feel or if they, you know, they want something to bark at it. Yeah. I mean, I guess they could learn how to bark at it when they don't want it. Right. Or withhold a bark when they do want it. Right. We, I mean, we're trying to teach my dog that right now. Good. So you could be training yourself. You could be tr- getting trained to good. So n- that would be like the not being forthright thing. Yeah. Not expressing how you feel or want it or, you know, marking it to get, to get it. Um, yeah. That's a kind of restraint. It turns out in the, in the interpersonal honesty norms, I have a, a, gu- a kind of nor- a guidance norm related to restraint. I think it's like important related to like, yeah. it's, there's a vice of excess. Yes. Um, and there's a virtue of the right amount. And yes, you can think of restraint as being like constraining that. But I mean, I, d- I don't know that that in itself is going to rise to the level of being dishonest. I think, again, when I'm thinking of communicative notions, it's like you have to intend to communicate a falsehood, basically, to be dishonest. Where to be honest or maybe fully honest is like all the claims that you might communicate about say about yourself or about the facts outside yourself will be ones where you endorse them or you accept them yeah well we're, now, we're, we're, is we're, your dog we're, go ahead we're saying you needed the capacity to to lie or to to misrepresent yourself were you were you i thought you were going that way that you might need well this, this is a this is an interesting question i'm bringing up yeah yeah um because someone might want to say on the one hand, that just reliably presenting the facts is what it is to be honest. Mm-hmm. And then maybe even a dog or some, something that's like not communicating with language, but, um, you know, sort of always sort of wearing on their sort of sleeve, as it were, how they feel, what, what they want, what they think, if you want to call it think, like think or believe. Um, and so like, or even in, you know, infants or, or like two-year-olds, three-year-olds, like there's a, there's a, they're super honest at first. They they actually can't easily lie until later. Yeah. You know, developmental psychologists study this a lot um, because they haven't really even acquired the understanding of what it is for even their beliefs to be false. It throws them off, but they don't. They can't attribute in a false belief task, exa- you know, experiments. They can't project into another person's, yeah. you know, mentality what it, what it is for their belief to be false until a certain age. <clears throat> so I remember notice. the first lie I told, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, it really messed yep. me up. I, I thought my parents could read my mind. So I was like, they're any, they they know that I lied. They're just waiting for me to just tell them. And then when they never got around to it, I was like, it looks like I can just say stuff and they won't know. It's really right. bad for me actually. So, but when you were, you know, before a child can lie, you know, there's a way in which they're perfectly honest. Mm. Like, you know, certain crucial sense like they're gonna they sometimes will talk and talk and talk and you know they they'll share whatever they think <laughs> so they're like very forthright and they're not they're always telling the truth but you might ask whether that's enough to count as honest like you might think that you need the intention to be yeah truthful to have as a possibility that you also could intend the opposite yeah i'm thinking I'm not going to exactly come down on a view here, but I was supposing you, you can count as honest just by being reliable in that way. Uh 
even though you might never yet have the capacity to misrepresent. Well, because I, as soon as you brought that up, I was thinking God, angels, and saints. Uh, you know, saints in like the new heavens and new earth, right? And it's like, mm -hmm. um, we we think God. I think God is praiseworthy for not being able to tell a lie. Maybe we, maybe we we, we extol Him for that. Or even if you don't believe in God, like you would think that that would be a praiseworthy attribute. But maybe not, because he doesn't have the ability to tell a lie. Like James says he can't tell a lie. He can't tell lies. So, yeah, I mean, I, the, I mean, you're adding in the praiseworthy element, which yeah, I know, I'm the interest, the more interesting bit, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, more of what I'm thinking of is like, does the concept apply? Like, do they count as honest or have well, you you'd have trade? to have the the concept would have to apply in order to get to the praiseworthiness, and we take the praise, you know, we take praiseworthiness as like a given, like he, you know, we praise him for this. But if the concept doesn't apply, then we can't praise him for it. I well, it, no, but it, good. I think I was supposing that the con. So the concept applying might be a necessary but not sufficient condition for being praiseworthy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. so you might have someone who is honest and can never tell a lie. Um, and so we say like that's just like what we are starting as thinking of them as being. But it they may not be morally praiseworthy for that. If they're not even capable of doing any other, any other. Thing. Yeah. Right. And, and they may not even be honest, right? Like they may, that concept of honesty may not apply to them if they're not able to. Intend. Well, I think what I was supposing is they, they could count as honest, but not pray like commendably honest. I mean, they're just, they're just constituted like that. Mm -hmm. Um, cause like, I mean, it's, this is sort of like, you know, if you couldn't, this is related to the questions about temptation of Christ or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could, could an angel, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure how to think about an angels and whether they can still fall and things like that. But like, sure. Like, like if it's possible to do the wrong thing or this is related to sort of free will. Um, yeah. I was just thinking about that. You know, yeah. like is if you're an incompatible about freedom, you're thinking it's gotta be possible for you to do otherwise. Yeah. Or to refrain from what you do. Um, if, if you're thinking that that notion's in play here too, just for the mere having of the character trait of say being honest. Then you're going to have a problem because you, you can't get the example off the ground by starting by saying they're always telling the truth. They count as honest, but they could never do otherwise. Now you have to take it back. You have to say, yeah, well, they yeah. don't count as honest. But I think the yeah. easier angle is to say they are, they're honest, but are they, you know, commendable or praiseworthy for that if they are constituted so they could never go do it wrong? Yeah. Go, go yeah. wrong? So, same as like this may be related to your robot or machine example. Yeah. 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 Like, can a machine or a robot be dishonest or can it, you know, I don't like they, if they're just programmed to be a certain way, mm -hmm. then they're not like culpable. They're not honest in the relevant, the moral categories or the hypological categories don't apply. Yeah. Right. The blame, blame, praise don't enter in. Um, like a robot, as it were, like imagine a, a thermostat that is supposed to read the temperature on the room. Right. Yeah. But like, some goofy, I don't know, engineer comes in and programs it to to show the temperature as being two degrees warmer all the time. Yeah. Like that thermostat is, I guess, kind of like dishonest, although it's, it doesn't feel like it's the right thing to say because it doesn't have intentions to communicate anything. It just gets programmed to read something. Yeah. It could be accurate or inaccurate. But, and that's why honesty is related to accuracy or inaccuracy, mm -hmm. but it has crucially, typically anyway, to do with 
what the intentions of the communicator are. Yeah. So that's why, that's why the dog example is even kind of hard to, to broach because you're like, yeah. are they communicating right. truths? Or, you know, it's like, it, it seems clear. like, yeah, I know, man. If, if I say, if I say to Theophilus, <laughs> my dog, if I say, where's Julie? Um, he can go and point to Julie or no, he doesn't point. He goes right, and barks right. or he goes and right. And it's like, you are, he might look, he might look, you know? Yeah. He does that. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you are. Pointer dogs. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Pointer dogs are amazing at this. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And it's like, man, if that's not communication, though, like the, the pointer dogs use, you know, talk about embodiment and stuff like his whole body is representing his belief that there's a, yeah. a bird right there. Um, yeah. So, so this is like, why my, yeah. when we're talking about dogs, I think, again, I'm more liberal about this than you are. I'm willing to be like generously, like they have certain mental states. They can communicate in certain sort of inchoate ways, but they can yeah. do it a bit like how you, you know. You can point at things and people get the idea, even though they might not have a complete proposition of what you have in mind. Okay. You can succeed at communicating without using speech just by like drawing attention to things, pointing, whatever. But I think so Davidson still lives up here rent free and would be like, that's because <laughs> you, you have a first language and so does maybe the other, per, other person you're talking with. But imagine you're both like solitaires. You never triangulated with anyone. You never have any first language. Now try to communicate the appropriate aspect of what you're pointing at just by extension. You know, it's like, if I'm just like pointing to this, it's like, dude, I don't, I have no clue what's going on because I don't have any language for this and neither do you. And so neither one of us can communicate the appropriate aspect. Do you know what I mean? If you didn't have a language at all, it seems it's like, what would even, what would be communicated? Well, Ascension. good. So, I mean, all we have, you know, this is like, there are a number of views in philosophy of language about different things about meaning and so on, right? But yeah, yeah. like, you know, Grice had this initial idea that some, at its core seems pretty much right, that like you're recognizing someone's intentions. Mm. And so this happens, this comes in his meet first, his big meaning paper, not big, it's early, not long paper, but he, you know, he's, he's basically arguing when you mean something with language, but also in other conventional sort of signals mean things because there's an agent involved who's meaning something by them. Yeah. He's like, what's going on is, you know, they have an intention to get you the sort of hear or, or, or communicated to person to recognize that their intention is that you get you. So it's reflexive intention. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's an elaborate setup. But if I'm get again, dogs in this don't necessarily maybe have that complex of intentionality. Mm -hmm. but something like it's going on, like they understood your question. You know, if, if you ask the dog a question, where's your wife? And, and then they point or they, they kind of point you in the direction They they are understanding the question enough mm. to give an answer. Yeah. And they're giving an answer. That's pretty reliable. Like now, again, this feels like it opens up the possibility that they could misrepresent things if they really tried. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just that they're not that interested in ever doing that, yeah. <laughs> except for maybe yeah. your example of the bones, like you had yeah, in yeah. the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it helps thinking about two dogs communicating because it's not like they were ever trained in the language, but they still communicate. Yeah. And it's like communication. I don't know. Maybe we, maybe it's like the pragmatist wins out and is like, well, it's good enough. Obviously it's good enough for them to chase down the goose. So even if they have, they don't share the same exact 
aspect or propositional content, uh, it's good enough for them to survive. And then it's like, yeah, well, then Alvin planning his evolutionary argument against naturalism comes up, you know, like, well, what if the frog thinks that he eats a dragonfly and turn in, into a frog prince? It's good enough to survive. That doesn't matter, but that's just coming up. <laughs> um, so Wait, can I just, let me yeah, ask please, you something about please. that real quick. The, yeah. You got the dogs communicating with each other. Notice this happens a lot. If you have dogs and you take them around, dogs want to play mm -hmm. with other dogs, like run, even just running around. Other creatures do this too. Like squirrels will chase each other. Yeah. Right. Or dogs will try and get you to play with them. Notice nobody ever really taught them. Probably this is count as play. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, this is fun, which is why we do it. You know, it's like, but, but they have this, maybe it's just instinctual, but yeah. they have to communicate in certain ways. There's, it's not clear that it's a game, like a rule governed thing in, in the way that sophisticated games are, but it's close because like, even if the chasing involves turn taking, right? Yeah. I've, my dog's done this with another dog that likes to run around with some, where it's sometimes like trying to get the other dog to chase him, but the other dog's trying to get him to chase that dog <laughs> yeah like and so they're they're notice what's happening is they have you know you can set you can tell they have intentions and they're trying to communicate to the other one like you know chase chase me right now mm -hmm. and sometimes it works and the like the other one makes a move and they start running and they, they, they one's following the other yeah like that's a kind of play it involves you know very basic i guess rules or like like, you know, you, you count as the, the person being chased and I can't, or the, you know, the dog chasing, I'm, I'm the chaser or whatever. Like, well, that's, you know, they have enough communication to do that. Yeah. And to try it many times over, in fact, many times a day sometimes, right? So yeah. insofar as that's a bit like seeing, they have some way of intending things, getting others to latch onto the intentions. Then the, the, the most basic elements are there. It's just not sophisticated communication it's not representational yeah. communication so i i wonder if that's like if it's like hardwired it's probably hardwired and i don't know we know what that means but it's like it's like chomsky's like grammar of thought but for <clears throat> for dogs or something they have like a universal yeah. that's fast i mean yeah every i mean biologists will of course just make use of this like most at least mammals and you know lots of other creatures that have brains at least right yeah um, they're just hardwired in a way they have instincts to do things Yeah, and they didn't get taught them socially by their parents. Like some of them already have things like know how they, they figure out how to walk right away. They, they, yeah. they understand how to sniff for things or, or, you know, eat, this is food to eat and stuff. Yeah. So, so that's doing a lot of work for them. That's interestingly why they don't maybe need to communicate in rich fashion the way we do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But so. There's some more stuff that I, that I, I was, I'm, I'm hoping to just as we close out here, get, get some help on. Um, so maybe sorry if, for everyone, if this is like uh, like a hard fork here in the conversation, but <laughs> I need to know some stuff too. Um, you, in, in one of the papers you, you discussed knowledge as the epistemic standard of assertion. Mm -hmm. And, in, and at first it's like, that seems super intuitive to me. Um, but then I think like what, what counts? um like does does knowledge come in degrees um and if so like are we how does that impact our uh assertion and like you Good. can't like half assert something right but right well i mean 
Oh, you can hedge. Yeah, you can, you can hedge. hedge. I mean, I talk about this in other papers. Yeah. On the normative assertion and on like normativity of com like de declarative communication or, or assert, like you can hedge an assertion by being like, instead of, you know, if an outright assertion is like Seattle is the, or sorry, well, that would be an assertion. Seattle is the capital of Washington state. That'd be a false assertion. Um, but it'd be an assertion if I, you know, declared it outright like that. Yeah. Um, Olympia is the capital. Okay. Washington State. But I mean, the point is I might not remember quite or I think I'm not getting it right in sort of a vague memory. And I might be like, oh, I think Olympia is the capital of Washington. No, that would be hedging it, right? Yeah. So you, you said, does it come in degrees? And then you were like, well, you, can, you can't half assert. Well, you, in a way, you might call that half asserting when you, you basically back off from the outright claim and you you know, you, you use hedges or hedging ter terms that fun can function as hedges. Like I think, I believe probably whatever. Yeah. Um, we have a range of these in English, right? Right. And some other languages actually have them built into the grammar of <laughs> how to make a declarative in the first place. You, you, you have, it's not part of the semantic sort of uh, speech act, semantic a contribution to the speech act. Even in English, it does. Like you'd say, I believe, or I think, or yeah. it's likely that or something. And that's kind of, that's adding to the utterance in a certain way that's changing the standing content of it. Yeah. This is that's a separate issue. But on the question about whether knowledge comes in degrees, I was supposing it doesn't. So propositional knowledge, the classic view is that it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and of course the puzzle then for at least on an analysis of knowledge sort of picture where you're invoking justification is justification feels like it comes in degrees. Yeah. Justification is part of how you get knowledge if you have a belief that's true that's justified or something like that or whatever the other normative elements are is it modally safe or sensitive or something or something yeah. else but so if that's if those are gradable and then knowledge is not how, how do we bring those together right I, I won't i won't weigh in on that but i was thinking when you know it's like an on off notion when you know a fact mm -hmm. um, other sorts of knowledge or things we sometimes call knowledge are gradable like knowledge how um, or procedural knowledge or practical knowledge is kind of gradable in a sense, like you can have more or less of it. Like you can yeah. know how to ride a bike better than me. The, the very even saying of that sentence shows us that it's gradable. But yeah, I, was, I, was thinking about, I was thinking about bikes. Yeah. That, so, so someone can know how to ride a bike better. Like they can know how to, I, I don't know, man, this may be too, uh, diving deep deep dive into bike riding too much but like if you it seems like if you know how to ride a bike you know how to ride a bike right like um that's a probably non-propositional thing maybe you have propositions about it but it's you know it's maybe direct acquaintance or whatever whatever you want to call it, it that seems like it's on and off on or off to me um i, I don't know i mean i don't know someone might i mean if you watch a kid learning how to ride, ride a bike there's a phase oh. during which they sort of are getting the hang of it. That's good. But they still, they still, and so it's kind of vague and, and you're like, well, they, yeah. they're increasing on some measure of skill. That's good. Knowledge. So, so even, even once they pass that threshold, sure, they know how. Yeah. And they could get much better at it. They could fall off less okay. hard, hardcore turns and still succeed in not falling off or whatever. But when I pull up and I'm just like in their face, <laughs> like, check this out, kid. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like the BMX biker is like clearly on a level okay. that we aren't on. 
Yeah, that's good. But like they all, they all do count as knowing how. So so okay. there's a way in which know how is both gradable and arguably there's a threshold after which you pass it. You you have it in a basic sense, even <laughs> though it can still improve. But I was thinking propositional knowledge isn't like that. Yeah. Uh, we let's not defend that or let's just say, say sure. when you know something, you know it, a fact. Um, and then the idea is like, this is a debate that I'm one of the contributors to on the one side. It's sort of a controversial position still, but there's a decent amount of following to the idea that knowledge, when, knowledge is this norm or standard for asserting. When you assert um, some claim, um, it's not merely that it's best if you know the claim you assert. It's that it's somehow subpar or improper if you don't know. Yeah. Asserted. Yeah. Um, we don't need to get into that debate, but the ideas then in that one paper draft you just read were like, we, if we think of proper assertion in those, in that sense, then it's at the opposite pole of like lying. So hmm. lying is uh, dishonest, but also, um, you know, really importantly bad in both a moral yeah. sense and an epistemic sense. Proper assertions, if knowledge is the norm of that, then proper assertions are known and then true. Notice that's different than saying belief is the norm because you could believe a claim and assert it. Right. But it'd be in this sense of normativity just as good, whether it's true or false, because you just believed it. Yep. Right. So um, if you say knowledge is the norm, you have an extra layer. You get to say this is what makes it the you know even better because it's knowledge is factive, so it has to be a fact that you assert it. Yeah. Okay, so I, I should know this, but I, for whatever reason, I don't. No, you, I mean, you, I'm not expecting you to know all of this. No, no, I, I, there, the, the thing I'm about to say, I should know, but I, I don't. So do you, ha um, if you, I could imagine someone saying, well, look, you, you could say belief is the norm of, of assertion because it doesn't look like you have false beliefs that you know about. Like, you don't know that you have false beliefs or you may not know it. So like, um, it's the, do you, do you have beliefs that you don't, think are true so wait uh don't uh, someone, no, I, I, no do you mean yeah. so you have beliefs in sort of sort of like uh constitutive of believing a, a proposition that amounts to regarding it as true like yeah you can't believe the content of a proposition and believe Not it false. Yeah. You can believe that a claim is false and that's yes. just dis disbelieving it. But yes, that's not what you mean. You mean, are there, are there any beliefs that you have that you take to be false? <laughs> and right. for any individual one, you'd be like, no, cause I believe or, it. Or, or not even false, I guess. Um, just like, uh, no, 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 um, no status one way or the other. Right. It's like, if you have a belief, it seems like in, implicit in that is that you, you take that belief to be true, but yeah, maybe not. Maybe true. just yeah. But, but do you have any? Is it possible to have a belief that you're like, um, there? It's not true. I, I don't know. Well, I guess that would be false. But you could. I mean, let's just acknowledge there are going to be cases of um, self delusion where you might. Hmm. Uh, so there are, you know, there are aberrant cases like you you might come after having a lot of time with a therapist or something to realize that one of your beliefs is false but you have this difficulty you can't really mm. let go of it yeah i mean okay it's not like that's impossible right so you, sure sure you know you 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 come to learn that uh, or, or maybe you don't learn but you come to doubt 
whether it's true without really giving it up. Yeah. Um, so this can happen, but I took, I took it that, I mean, I think what we want to say about it is that's a weird paradoxical state to be in, hmm. partly because the nature of belief is to just countenance the claim is true. Like you just, you, 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 you're like accepting it as true or you're like taking for granted that it's true. You're mentally committed, maybe in a confidence level way or it's very confident. Yeah. It's not outright confident when you believe it, when you have outright belief. So, so there's something awkward about having that mental state that way and also acknowledging like, oh, but it's false. <laughs> right. right. But it's not going to work because you, because psychologically you, you probably will shift because you're like, my, my very taking of it to possibly be false or definitely be false is part of the dropping of that belief mm -hmm. altogether or switching it to believing it's negation or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Does that so, get it what you're asking? Yeah, it does. Um, suppose then the, the follow-up then is like, why isn't belief the norm of assertion? Because we, we take beliefs to be true and I don't know. It's just like, a, it seems like I'm trying to escape out of this belief bubble to get to knowledge. And it's like knowledge, but knowledge is way harder to get, you know? And, it maybe that's a good thing of the theory, but um, all of my beliefs I'm taking to be true, except maybe the paradoxical ones, and I wouldn't assert those or something. But do do you see what I'm getting at? Where it's like, I don't know. on the assertion. So you're are you worried about an issue? Belief versus knowledge. Yeah. Where where the the idea that knowledge is the requirement for proper assertion is like too strong, or are you worried about a different thing where um, we don't blame? I mean, this might be related to the too strong thing um, fr from the inside when I'm yeah. imagining what I believe and then I'm trying to communicate with speech acts and then I'm like going to assert to you that P from the inside, I can't distinguish between my beliefs yeah. that are uh, knowledge and because they're true and other things good going for them. That, that's right. I think, I think it's that both. Is that yeah, I think it, it's both. So, so if I'm going to like there's this norm. And if I want to say like, you've, you've asserted improperly, I'm going to, you're, you're going to say, if I'm going to say, hey, Matt, Matt, you, you asserted improperly, you're going to be like, well, dude, look from the inside, like all these look true to yeah, me. Yeah. So what do you mean? You know? And it's like, yeah, well, yeah. no, you, yeah, you, you asserted on a belief, not, not knowledge. Yeah. Good. I mean, so that, yeah, there's a whole literature that is arguing over this. And I mean, part of the, Kind of the uninteresting answer is that the kinds of linguistic data and, and, and also judgments about cases relating to linguistic data are ones where the explanatory power of the idea that knowledge is the norm as opposed to mere belief is pretty solid in the sense that like when knowledge is in play, it looks like we got to say, or we, we get an account of why a bunch of the data breaks the way it does and a bunch mm -hmm. of our intuitive judgment, but it leaves open this possibility that it looks like we could blame someone when from the inside, they, they thought maybe they thought they knew, right? So there's this whole discussion about how the norm, uh, is to be understood. And I mean, one answer that I think is, I think every view is going to have to invoke this at some level or another, but here's the idea. If you have a norm saying you're required to do this, it's going to be possible. For you to think that you're fulfilling that norm, but for accidental reasons, you're, you're not. Yeah. Right. And so we can talk about you reasonably doing the thing, given that you thought you were going to fulfill the norm or follow the rule. And cases where 
you kind of excusably, because you reasonably thought you would be fulfilling it, you excusably got it wrong or you yeah. excusably asserted improperly. It's not that the notion of being improper means you did something terribly wrong mm, or that yeah. you did something intentionally against the rule. That, that's, yeah. So the, the, we have to be careful about the layers of evaluating the agent and what mm. they did. So if you assert something that unbeknownst you is false, but you thought you knew, you know, you can kind of get off the hook on the blameworthy front a little bit by being like, oh, I, sorry, <laughs> I thought I knew this thing. Turns out I was, you know, my evidence was such that looked for all the world like it was true. Uh, in a in a right scenario, the world is that way. Yeah. You know, if you have misleading, drastically misleading evidence, that's a case where you might have really good evidence. You're kind of justified in believing the thing. It just turns out to be false in a given case. Yeah. So now, but now we can say, look, that means, you know, that's, that's, that's way different, of course, than asserting against what you know, <clears throat> right? That's an effect, yeah. maybe lying. Yeah. So, so we can, we can, we can get an account of why, why the norm is maybe stronger than mere belief, but we can, we can also get an account of why, how we evaluate someone as a reasonably asserting, even if impermissible in the sense of like violating the rule. Mm -hmm. How how they're not that blameworthy because they did it reasonably. This is the same as like I think I talked about this in that draft I sent, sent you. Maybe you didn't get that far, but this applies in general. So if you have a rule that says don't speed, you know, don't run, drive past, you know, faster than this uh, miles per hour, right? Yeah. And you know you you're driving along and like your speedometer actually is not working right. <laughs> you you know it's supposed to be a sixty mile an hour zone and you're going like seven. But that's because you're looking at this and you're judging it to be 60 because your speedometer's off. Yeah. Right. In a clear sense, we should say, well, you're breaking the law just unbeknownst to you. Mm -hmm. Like you think you're following the law. And so you're, you're reacting reasonably given the way things look to you. Yeah. Right. That's a different case from you did this improperly and you should have been able to know, know better. Like that's negligent. That's not what's in play all the time. Yeah. Right. You, you, you have reasonable, negligent, and vicious types of assertion, right? I think that's from yeah. That. So I, with that very layers of sort of evaluations, I'm thinking we can talk about reasonably doing something, or like for example, asserting, where you take yourself to be following that norm, the norm of assertion. If it's knowledge, then you you reasonably took yourself to know the thing you asserted. Yeah. But then you can talk about negligent assertions where you're, or maybe you you could call them reckless or something. Like you're not even paying attention to whether you're following the rule. Yeah. Like that's maybe like Frankfurt's bullshitting case. Bullshitters okay. are you know, using speech that seems like they're making claims, like assertions outright, but they're just not even paying attention to whether they're true. Yeah. Right. That's sort of like the negligent notion. Like you're not even paying attention to whether your claim is believed by you or true or not. Yeah. And then vicious assertion is, you know, intending to assert against what the norm requires. Yeah. Like so vicious speeding would be like, I know that the speed limit is this and i'm going to go faster but by this amount yeah here i go right <laughs> um but but so that's vicious in the sense that you're intending to break the rule right mm -hmm. vicious assertion would be if whatever the normal assertion is if it's knowledge then if i take myself to know this thing i will assert against what i know yeah and the case i think of the case of lying as a special case of that because you you have an implicit notion in your head like i believe this thing i take myself even to know it I'm going to assert to you it's negation, mm -hmm. right? I'm going to lie to you by asserting the opposite of what I believe to you. 
Yeah. Yeah. Again, when you put it in philosophical terms or, or more clear terms, it seems so crazy. Like, yeah, it's just a lie, but you're like, no, you're asserting something, you know, to be false. It just like shows the, I think, I don't know for other people, it may like, it may water it down. But to me, I'm like, dang, that's really bad. That's a really <laughs> bad thing to lie. You know, it's like right. intentional. Like you, yeah. you, you did that. You lied. You intentionally misrepresented what you believe to be true or knew to be true. Like, Wow, what what a sick thing to do! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bunch. yeah. lying is especially plausible, plausibly bad in multiple ways, right? Like it's epistemically bad in that I gave you a falsehood, or what I at least thought was a falsehood. Um, and if I did know the thing that I asserted against, then I gave you a falsehood in what I said. Mm -hmm. So epistemically, I'm not going to be helping you out. You, you, you yeah. if you believe what I said anyway, you, you're going to believe a falsehood. That's yeah. Epistemically bad for you, but it also feels morally bad because that's a way of mistreating you or manipulating you or using you for my own ends or something. Yeah. And on top of that, probably related to the manipulation, but maybe it's also kind of separate. Like I'm doing things that are going to screw up the way we can trust each other. Yeah. Right. Right. If you found out. Right. So yeah, like the, that's, those are all moral considerations that feel like they're kind of separate from the epistemic thing, but they're connected to it too. Yeah. Yeah. Man, this is good. I, I appreciate you letting me go down uh, rabbit trails. We, we talked a lot about dogs and stuff. This, this was actually genuinely helpful for me. So I, I really appreciate oh. you. Let me. Yeah, let me no, I appreciate it. Yeah. If we, if we didn't get to talk about other stuff, you know, we can talk another time or we can follow up if you want. But uh, definitely yeah, uh, it's great. The, the interpersonal stuff, I'm, I'm uh, just waiting for the go ahead. Cause I'd love to get you back on interpersonal knowledge to talk about that. Cause that's some of, my, oh, yeah. uh, some of your work I've been thinking about a lot. Um, it's really fun stuff. So I like what you're doing, man. To keep keep doing it. This is this has been super super fun. Awesome. Thanks, Parker. Yeah, yeah I appreciate it. Um, if somebody wanted to, you know, find more of your stuff, you got a, a place to point them to? I have a website. You can Google me. It'll be pretty quick to find. Uh, it's housed on my SPU or SPU server. I also have uh, Phil Papers. Uh, it's actually Phil People. There's a whole philosophy. On a portal in which you know philosophers who publish stuff can can put stuff in, and I have a lot all of the things I've written, uh, usually a even a draft or PDF of my own that people can usually read for free. So any of the stuff on the norms of assertion stuff, or the eventually hopefully versions of these papers may be published someday on linguistic honesty or personal honesty, or I have these other papers already on the knowing persons. The first one is called Epistemology Personalized. Yeah. Um, you know, you can go on there and find versions, even if it's not the you know exact published version, you can find a version to read if you're interested. Yeah. Some yeah. I, I definitely commend those papers. Um, if you're an analytic theologian type dude, like this has implications for God. If you are just an analytic philosopher or any kind of philosopher like, has implications for your own relationships and for, you know, thinking about persons and personhood. So, um, yeah. it's really fun stuff. Yeah. Well, this other uh, paper we'll talk about another time, but the faith yeah. and interpersonal knowledge thing is like a project and paper I have that'll before too long probably be available. And whether we talk about it on a podcast or not, you know, people that are interested in that can go find that. It's definitely that's awesome, man. Cool. That's so good. Well, all right, folks, that's gonna have to do it for now. This has been Parker's Pensies, and as always, all glory to God.